I long for a forever network that isn't afraid to go the distance, preferably without data caps. Yes. That was a personal ad from Connect Humanity and their Get Fiber Laid campaign for Valentine's Day. If you missed it, it was hilarious. <laughs> they I thought that was your personal Valentine's Day message and then I, then I realized what you were talking about. So thank you, Chris. I was getting a little concerned about you at the, first, the beginning of this show. My perfect partner will help when things get tough. When I'm sick and have to work from home, you'll be there. In a global crisis, you'll be my lifeline. And I'll be there for you, too. I'm looking for something symmetrical. Are you sure this isn't from Field of Dreams? <laughs> this is uh, this is highly recommended. We have the chat. We have the link in the chat. Uh, Connect Humanity did a wonderful, wonderful service uh, with some humor on, on Valentine's Day uh, when some of us were at Net Inclusion. Uh, welcome. It's time for Connect This. And uh, we have swapped out um, Travis's head for Shayna. Shayna England, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm not even going to pretend or try to take uh, Phil Travis's shoes, but um, but I, I have a black T-shirt on, so we're at least that far, I understand. <laughs> yes, and I was doing that as well. Um, Travis got pulled away at the last second. He was planning to be here, but cannot. Uh, we look forward to him joining us on, on the next go-round. Uh, Doug Dawson, welcome back. Yes, and I do not have a black shirt on today, but you know that's because I got an email from, from Kim not to do that. So. Mm -hmm. Do you have any black tie-dyed shirts? I, I'm, I'm I do. I do. They're black with, you know, things on, on the black background with very light gray Grateful Dead pictures. Excellent. So maybe, maybe I'll, I'll the next. Grateful Dead on them? Doug, I would have never guessed. I mean, who no, knew you like Grateful Dead? Yeah, I know. Shocking. So Doug Dawson with CCG. Um, I actually didn't say Shana's with the um, California Community <laughs> Foundation, but has been doing a ton of work uh, building strategies for connecting uh, the Los Angeles County area as well as uh, California more significantly because people recognize the great work she's doing and keep asking for her advice everywhere else. Um, Doug, consultant extraordinaire, pots and pans by CCG. And Kim McKinley uh, wearing red today. Looking good. How you doing? Red, it's Valentine's Day week. And I mean, if we're like our Valentine is broadband, <laughs> broadband, then I'm here for it. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Kim, uh, what's the big deal up in uh, Utopia Fiber Territory? Any big news? Um, there, well, there is some big news and we're going to announce it, but I guess I'll drop it here. Um, the Utah Education Telehealth Network uh, award um, awards came in. Um, and it looks like we, Utopia is getting our first 400 gig circuit um, that UETN is requesting. So I think that is huge news. And it just shows the need for bandwidth and the growth um, that schools are using uh, internet for. I think it's from when the people on the show were on the, um, in school, I think it's a little bit different of how much bandwidth is used today. So uh, it will be interesting to see what in five years we're seeing. Yeah, I think they had voice circuits for me. Uh, when I was in school, that was it. Um, I'm Chris Mitchell. Just, yes. yes, go ahead. You're Chris Mitchell. To two, I was gonna say, just, just three or four years ago, we had a national goal to get schools one gigabit. All the schools I know, that is not nearly enough bandwidth, so right. 
Uh, and um, I'm the, the host of the show, and uh, it's, um, I've been uh, I've been on the road, living on the road. I still got a lot of that left uh, for the next few weeks, like nine straight, ten straight weeks on the road, I think. Uh, but I got to see Shayna in uh, in Philadelphia for Net Inclusion. Uh, it was great. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk briefly about wireless. We're going to talk about digital discrimination strategy. We're going to talk about some map that Doug has that I don't really know what it is, but I'm looking forward to being filled in on it uh and then i have another item or two that i really hope uh we can get to so we're gonna be hustling um to get there uh jordan Pittman is producing today uh rye is out uh doing something um that is either more or less exciting but not the same level of exciting as this uh so jordan welcome to the show and uh we have a first question uh, ruben asks how many strands does 400 gig use and i suspect it's one yeah right yeah. yeah, but I like that uh, Ruben knows a guy who might uh, test it out in Maine, just in case we need it. Right, right. You know, just you know, Make sure it's not 387. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's, I mean, Doug, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, Kim, if you know this, also, I'm, I'm. Uh, what is the largest commercial link right now? I thought 400 is about the most. Are there any 800 or or, or terabyte? There, there's actually several one terabyte gigs, but uh, connections, but the all the big guys nationwide. Zayo, Lumen, they're building the 400 gigs. That's the newest affordable laser. The stuff okay. above that's not affordable. So, yeah. Right. My video is still kinky. Uh, sorry, we're still trying to figure it out. I got to build a whole new computer, I think, to get rid of this issue. Uh, let's move on to T-Mobile Uplink. Um, so I just put this in there just to remind people that um, 5G is, is the future. But while Kim's setting up a 400 gigabit, Terra um, link uh, on fiber. Uh, T-Mobile is bragging about 345 megabits in an uplink um, using a sub six gigahertz spectrum. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, I think it's cool and it's good and everything, but it's a reminder that for all the people out there talking about how 5G is the future, like uh, commercially available, like cutting edge stuff, um, more than a thousand times faster on fiber than on uh, wireless. So Doug, you know more about this than I do. I was just being snarky. You actually know a thing or two about it. Well, first to put it in context, most people are getting between 20 and 35 megabits upload on their cell phone. And so that's the normal speed that's available to you. But, but five years ago when they announced 5G, they said it's not only going to be gigabit, but it's going to be symmetrical gigabit. Uh, that was a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, these tests are the very fast speeds. They're not going to make these readily available to the public because if you did this on your cell phone, the way it works, it's going to grab all the channels on your phone. They're all going to broadcast and your phone battery will probably be dead in six and a half minutes. <laughs> but it's still an interesting concept because that means corporate customers and all could go set up an outdoor presentation, actually put a box there instead of a cell phone and they could make these faster connections. So that that's so I think they're going to make it so customers can set that up for a fee would be my guess. But it's very it's nice that they're getting faster, but it's not it's, you know, you're not going to get it tomorrow. So And Kim um, this brought into uh, a, a little experience that you had uh, seeing a very famous person live, I think, right? Did you did you breathe the same air that he was breathing? I did. I was um, at the FBA's uh, first regional event of the year in Richmond, Virginia. Very the Fiber city. Broadband Association. Fiber, Fiber Broadband Association. And one of their fireside chats with was, was with Ajit Pai. Um, a couple observations. I actually thought Ajit Pai came off incredibly sincere and humble um, when he was on stage, which I don't think I was expecting. A little, um, a lot more authentic. 
But one of the statements that he made, which I found was very interesting, is that he said um, on stage that fiber is the only future. And no matter what he said when he was at the FCC. Um, so it was just an interesting statement. And since he was at the FCC, things have changed. You know, we did have, I mean, some of the COVID pandemic happened during his tenure, but uh, since then it is interesting that he has uh, uh, publicly come out and changed his uh, mind, which we all do at times. We all do. So I have to give no, him credit. I mean, do you think, do you honestly that. think he, do you honestly think he changed his mind? I mean, I assume that's just a nice way of saying that much like uh, likely Obama in 2008, he knew that gay marriage is something that we should have been uh, not getting in the way of, uh, but he just recognized it wasn't palatable to say it. Uh, people at the FCC presumably know that it is a wiser investment to do fiber when you can uh, than, than wireless in many cases, uh, and yet they feel like they have to pretend that that's not the case. I, w I wish Travis was here because yeah, he just spit all he just spit all over six gigahertz. To <laughs> yeah, now, we need Travis is going to call in from whatever he's doing right now. He's going to he call probably, in just to <laughs> yell at Chris. <laughs> if we recall at the end of the last show, he said, "I'm." He said, "Agitpi is my man." Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, I, yeah. So now he's got to take it back. <laughs> no, no, no. Now he's solidified it. Um, the other, the other. So I'm, I'm curious, Kim. Do you, do you think that he really believed technology neutral is the way to go, or was it just part of the game he was playing? I think that I think it's. I think personally, I think it's a little bit of both. I think you have to play the politics of what the FCC is, and then you. Um, I think that it's a different time. It really is a different time than when he started at the FCC. So, but I think that it's a little bit of both. I can't say that he was lying. I can't say he was completely honest. I think it's like everything else. You're doing the best you can um, with the resources you can is what I came out of that uh, fireside chat. Generous. Uh, believing. Very generous. <laughs> Maybe I'm too nice, Chris. Maybe I'm too nice. Maybe Shana, it's Valentine's very week. honest. Let's see what Shana has to say. <laughs> oh, and by the way, we don't, so mean, Shana, we don't maintain a clean tag, um, but, uh, you know, we try to keep it fairly clean. <laughs> I, will, I will minimize the F-bombs then uh, as much as, I, as possible and you know me well enough to know it might not be entirely possible. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I think Kim, that's so nice. I think also uh, <laughs> to to assume that a very smart person who mm. was uh, theoretically sincere before and is now being sincere now just learned the information that he needed. I don't think he just learned it. I don't think, I don't think he just learned it. I think at the end of his tenure at the FCC, I absolutely believe he knew fiber was the future. And he was saying technology agnostic. I'm talking to like in the earlier days, like right. when he was first appointed. Maybe. We've, yeah. given, we've given the man enough time as it is. Let's move on to the next agenda <laughs> item. <laughs> I want to ask Shana about what's happening next with uh, the amazing fire, uh, fiber, no, the federal funds account at the CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission, where we have a historic number of municipal fiber networks waiting to find out if they will get funding from the state of California. Uh, I have been telling people that we would be learning in in April ish, uh, you know what what the awards would be. Uh, but now I'm hearing that uh, I was probably too optimistic. You were so optimistic, and uh, 
no. Uh, we will hear the, the latest that we've heard. And again, this has not been announced. It's only been in response to some queries. Uh, some of the projects that we're working with have sent in uh, questions saying like, seems like we're getting close. Do you have questions for us? Is there anything we need to be prepared for uh, coming uh, theoretically in, in mid-March? Um, and to some of those queries, uh, they have gotten answers that say, oh no, no, our new date is June 20th. And they're doing it. So it's actually, there's a statutory requirement. They have six months uh, to consider the applications and the objections and to go back and forth and make these decisions and announce them. Um, and basically what they did was they decided that that six months started at a date, at a, at a point in the process three months later than yes. originally. <laughs> so originally they said the whole thing was going to be six months. Applications uh, deadline was September 30th. So six months from uh, September 30th is roughly March 30th. Um, and now they're saying that the six months starts at the end of the objections period, which was December 20th. So now they're saying June 20th. It'd, it'd be interesting wonderful. to see. I don't think there's another, I don't think there's another benchmark that they can push it to. So I think June 20th is by statute. They're either going to have to ask for a statutory extension or they're, it's going to be June 20th. Um, okay. Doug? Um, Yes, it's just the miracle of government math. So yes, six, <laughs> six months equals nine months. We all know this. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think um, the bigger yeah. the bigger issue around it, and there's kind of two two other more interesting bigger issues happening around it. One is kind of as you know, um, AT and T actually applied for more money from that project than is allocated to the whole program, um, and they did so in a series of um, kind of completely indefensible projects. So for example, in the city of LA, they didn't, there isn't an AT&T project in the city of LA, there are four, um, which would make sense. And you might have in your head that like, oh, well, there's one in the Northern part and there's one in the Southern part and there's one in the Eastern part. And these are like, you know, coherent projects that you can actually evaluate in some way. No, 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 they didn't do that. They have four projects where they took roughly six block areas some of them overlapping, some of them right next to each other in different parts. So at least on one project, they have two six block areas that are 50 miles apart from each other in, um, in LA <clears throat> County. And that's what they did across the state. So my guess is to go to be, to maybe to follow Kim's Valentine's Day week lead of generosity. <laughs> um, maybe, I mean, I, I think it would actually be defensible for the PUC to say, we got hundreds of these wackadoodle AT&T applications that actually take quite a bit of time, likely, to <clears throat> unravel and unpack what's in there. And so I think that's part of what's happening. But it'll be, you know, I, I think they've actually given the PUC a gift because that's as good as reason as any to give money to an actual coherent, <laughs> um, defensible municipal project over some crazy is there any rationale behind why they did the at&t leak i think so i think they i think they fought in the middle of every other possible project is one of the things they did is my guess. Uh oh yeah. in some cases they did um but in some cases so the other thing that the puc and all of its wisdom did uh in the ffa rulemaking was um they were pressured initially they had a very strong um kind of equity 
rules in there. So in the rubric, it said, I, I can't remember the exact numbers. The total rubric is 120 points you get on these and like 20, 25 of them, something like that was for, does this project um, serve disadvantaged communities? And it would, that was it. Uh, in addition to uh, kind of rolling back some pretty strong affordability and kind of public benefit requirements, which they made optional um, on the, the disadvantaged communities, they changed it to if, um, what was it? If 50% of these census block groups in the project are at 80% or less of the state or county medium income, then that project counts as a disadvantaged communities. So if you look at the AT&T projects, and again, this is, I know the, the LA County ones in, in and out, um, but also a bunch of the other ones. This is true in Alameda County and Santa Clara County. And for, I mean, everywhere that they did this, mm -hmm. um, what they did was they had, so let's say one of those six block areas will include three census blocks that hit that disadvantaged community and the rest of them all don't, but that allows them to get those points in the rubric. That's that's gross. And it's one of those things that, um, and this is, if Travis was here, I think he would be talking about why they don't go after grants uh, because, you know, um, you, you'd think you could have a program that would just allow people to build normal networks and actually connect people and that sort of a thing. Uh, but, no, well, I mean, it be... does allow it, but uh, you also have a company like AT&T that, uh, that knows how to game right. that. And then the other sort of critical and, and kind of terrible thing, I think that's on the plate, on the table with uh, the PUC taking this long, which might be why AT&T and some of the others did this to make the, the process take longer, is that, you know, we're in a budget situation <laughs> here in California. Mm. Um, and there's at least some likelihood that that money that isn't out the door is going to get clawed back. Sure. They're, they're playing the long game. AT&T could be playing the long game of looking at it in a bureaucracy. Paperwork. Oh, yeah. And the, there's, yeah. There's, there's a whole effort to try to turn some of the money in California into uh, an ACP benefit. Uh, so the money would be spent mm -hmm. in ways that would not um, structurally result in any... Um, uh, long-term improvements uh but i want to i want to move on uh we got number oh, one, one last one last point yep. there that's how att actually builds the six block areas they do they are not going to build a whole community ever they never do that so that actually yeah. is the way the way they oh i disagree doug because gigapower <clears throat> we're now a year into gigapower and we're not gonna we're not gonna dig into this too much i want to save this for a future show but i did just get a kick out of the recent gigapower update the at&t open access network which is supposed to be building uh, in wide areas um and they passed a bunch of homes but what what got me is the very end of the story so far, or maybe it's not the end, but so far, AT&T is the only tenant on GigaPower's network. <laughs> However, the company is in detailed discussions with several other ISPs that have a strong interest in riding the network. So we shall see. But so far, our um, our uh, predictions have held true. So yes. uh, we'll come back to GigaPower in the future. Um, so, Doug, you have a map uh, for us. What's, what's going on with this map? I do. I'm going to pull that up. Okay, we're in the heart now of state broadband mapping challenges. And so, and you got to remember that the NTIA did this wonderful decision that licensed wireless as legitimate broadband. And so when you start looking at areas covered by wireless companies, they don't claim everybody. So, you know, what they do is they claim some houses, but not the ones next door. And that's what this map shows you. So in this map, this is a piece of a T-Mobile tower claimed area. 
but but they all look the same way. If you go to the fixed wireless guys, the maps look the same. And what you can see here is T-Mobile in this case is claiming the orange dots, but they're not claiming the blue dots. Well, if you if when the state goes to give out B grants, they have to build exactly the same network just for the blue dots, that, and they just have to pretend the orange dots aren't there. It doesn't cut any streets off. And so what happens here, you know, the states are all doing bead based upon this theoretical idea that there'll be reasonable cost per passing. But this map doubles the cost per passing because you have to build the same network, but you only get half the homes. Now you have to really build to the rest because you and you'll knock on their door and try to sell to them. But the state's not going to give you any money or any credit for that. And they're going to say that this, this project is too expensive. They're going to call this a high cost project only because T-Mobile messed up the map. It's it's not. It cost it cost what it cost. Uh, they have that ruling is, and this is everywhere in the country. This is every county. You can't hardly find a place that this doesn't happen. That decision by the NTIA is an absolute disaster, and the, and the states, most of them, don't realize this till they really start getting these grant applications, where they thought they were going to get grant applications for. $5,000 of passing, this turns them into $10,000 of passing. They're going to freak out. This is, uh, I like the, in the lower right quadrant, there's like uh, two that where yeah. you have like the dots are coincident. They're overlapping. Yes. But there are actually three houses there. These are real, we look, these are real places. So that's just three close by houses. Right. But it's just, it's remarkable yes. that one of them. But, that, but they didn't claim, camp. but they didn't claim the other two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're looking at the one on the left of like, there's no way they get those five, Sure. Um, orange ones without the three other ones. It's like this is right. not. And, and fixed wireless maps are just like this too. It's it's really, it's going to be a disaster. Beat is going to be a disaster from a whole lot of reasons, but this one is going to really cause a problem. So. This is where we need Travis on the show because he loves bead and he thinks it's going to go to every good use. <laughs> I wish and, well, uh, in, this, in, this, in this case, it's going to fund the blue dots. Yeah, but it's not going to fund the orange dots. <laughs> that's that's rough it's, crazy. it's insane it's totally insane the actual detailed people keep saying well you're going to be talking about a person who says the fcc maps are good here shortly so they are not good they are absolute disasters what do you think is going to happen long term though doug with these i mean we keep talking about the maps are bad and then the states are dealing with like trying to get their their plans out what do you think the long-term ramifications of something like this are what I think is going to happen, because the the states did their math going, I think it's going to be X number of dollars a house and I'm getting $1 billion. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to find out that they still have to cover everywhere mm -hmm. and they're actually going to get requests for $2 billion. Mm -hmm. Because they, they just assumed that when the, if you recall, the passings got lower mm -hmm. with the last set of maps. This is why they got lower, not because there's less passings. <laughs> they just right, It's not, it's not like you have a region that's been taken off of the map. No, no yeah, region's taken off the map here. And so what's they're going to find out that where they thought they could get it all done for a billion dollars, it's really going to still cost two billion, and then they're the beat's not going to cover everybody. Is what's going to happen. So, and and if this, if this was an isolated location, it's no big deal. I this I found this in every county, and some of them, some of these are the entire county do this. So, uh, so we're going to move on. Um, I'm wanna, I want to share a, uh, a short video here. I'm sorry to subject you all to this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this here in a second. Let me start getting it queued up. Um, this is uh, a video of uh, – oh, wait. Let's take a look at this. Um, 
no, <laughs> Ruben, no, not no, only that, but no, but the, I mean, like the grants just say what can they deliver, and it's what the ISP say deliver, not what they can really deliver. That's it. That's right. the only we've, criteria. We've talked about this before. It also has the it <clears throat> makes the fallacy of if you have fifty homes and T-Mobile could serve any of those homes uh, with a high quality service, um, but it only has the capacity to serve four or five of them concurrently. Uh, all 50 homes are considered to be served uh, right. because of the amateurishness of the policymakers. And I would say the FCC in particular for failing to develop a way of dealing with these scenarios um, because this is not a new problem, right? Like, like we've been, it's been, it's been obvious for years that we we're going to get to this point. And, uh, and the FCC has chosen to just, um, uh, not prepare for it. And so no one had a good plan of how to deal with it. And I don't think the states have even yet realized that that's an issue in many cases. Ruben, keep it up. You almost got him to get to a rant. So keep trying. Oh, I'm, uh, I don't think it's going to be an issue today. <laughs> he's, working, he's working on it. Working he's up to it. Up. <laughs> I, I think uh, the rant is going to come before the video. I don't even think he's going to get to play the video before the rant comes. <laughs> so... Net Inclusion, National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Uh, they have uh, their event uh, last year. It's 800 people in San Antonio, and it was huge. Nobody could believe it was that big. This year, it was in Philadelphia, and it was 1,300 people, uh, which was a lot of people, um, many of whom uh, are doing work in their communities to try to make sure that people are well connected. Um, you know, I do feel like I have to say it was supposed to be in Chattanooga um, for uh, a variety of reasons. Uh, they decided to move it, uh, perhaps not a variety of reasons, but they decided to move it. Uh, and it ended up in Philadelphia, where Comcast was the big hometown sponsor. Uh, Comcast, who has had its butt kicked in Chattanooga. Um, you know, Chattanooga, a city that has done more for digital equity than probably any other city. Um, and um, anyway, many of us were saddened to see that, uh, but it was a wonderful event. Uh, and at the event, uh, uh, the first keynote on the first uh, lunch day, uh, Jessica Rosenworcel took, um, I don't even know if you'd call them softball pitches, but um, uh, very gentle questions uh, and, uh, in front of uh, an audience. And uh, I wanted to share, I actually want to share a bunch of them, but I only want to subject you to one of them because it's you didn't come here to watch videos of other things. So I want to play this and then um, we will share. But this is about uh, the ACP running dry. I think it's about a minute or so. And then uh, we'll come back. Uh, so I'm going to go to uh, present, share screen. Da, 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 da. I think we're going to be muting people here as we do it. Challenges the funding system for it is different. ACP relies on appropriations. Lifeline relies on the Universal Service Fund. And to take ACP, which has been so successful with its 23 million households, and move it into the Universal Service Fund would lead to a really substantial increase on everyone's bills in this country for at least phone service, possibly broadband. And that's not sustainable either. So what we need, two things, a short-term movement to make sure ACP gets funded, we continue, and a long-term effort to talk about the sustainability of these programs because digital equity depends on it. Which we have a session on here at Net Inclusion. So um, there you have it. Uh, 
we need a short-term renewal of ACP in order to develop a plan for a long-term solution. The chair of the Federal Communications Commission, <laughs> three years after getting money for short-term so we could have a long-term solution to this problem, says that what we need is more short-term money so someone else can develop a long-term vision for how to solve this issue. My head is exploding. Um, would you like to, can you tell us how you really feel, Chris? I just want to know how you really feel about this topic. Are, I, you, are know, you, are you implying that she should have already gotten the long-term? Mm -hmm. I just wonder what you mean by that. So. I mean, I would understand if, if she had spent the last three years filling a docket, developing strategies, sending out people with plans, you know, um, working Congress. Uh, she's from Congress. Like she doesn't know anything about telecom in the real world. She knows DC and Congress. Like this is her thing. And, and no, she didn't do those things. She sat there hoping that someone else would solve it. Uh, or I don't know that the planet would get hit by an asteroid or something and it wouldn't be her issue. Um, but no, there's, like, it's just, it's really remarkable. The, the lack of planning. I mean, she, her message to people in the room was literally write your senators. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? This goes into something I heard, um, last week was that like from somebody in the industry who said ACP is dead. Nobody in DC did the back work. Nobody has, they focused on everything else, but this, um, even though everybody's putting a lot of efforts to get more money into it, that, that it's basically dead in the water and it's a lot of hoopla on top right now from what I'm, what I'm hearing. And, um, I'm seeing some nods. So I, I mean, maybe that is, uh, what others are hearing as well. Yeah. There well, have been a, a, a whole lot, a whole lot of people in the house, a lot of people in the house in the last week are signing onto that bill because they want to say they were for it. They're not going to pass it. It's not going to pass. <laughs> ACP is done. <clears throat> done. Yeah. And and Shana, you want to share what you had said before? Like, let's assume we get an extension. What's the question we should be asking if we were to get an extension? Then what? <clears throat> then what? Right. This is the thing. Like, I, I was I was waiting actually, Chris, for you to drop the first F bomb. And I'm gonna I'm gonna not do it now, but I want to. Um, <laughs> because that was my impression of that whole effing conference um, was like amazing, wonderful people. I met amazing, wonderful people. So many people doing so much extraordinary work. However, uh, if that's where the movement is situated, we are screwed <laughs> because that is, there, ha there has not been the work to do, even if we had come to some sort of agreement that like, we need a permanent ACP allocation or that extending ACP for two more years is important or whatever. It's not like we didn't know this was coming and now we should be writing to our Senate. What? It's insane. But then even aside from that, the question is, let's say there's a miracle and somehow like industry decides they're going to put all their weight on getting ACP funded instead of say this like massive tax cut that they're probably going to get instead on deferred uh or sorry on immediate um i never mind we don't accelerated, have to detail, uh, accelerated depreciation. depreciation thank you um which is a lot more money for them so they're going to put their eggs in that basket and not in like using their political capital on acp but let's just say that they decided to do that because they are in fact the like decent digital equity champions, they say they are. Um, and we get it and we get the $7 billion and that somehow funds ACP through the end of this year. Then what? Then what? What happens yeah. then? Are we doing this but, again? What, then what? Right. 
<laughs> but her, her observation that this is not affordable in the lifeline is just wrong because let's start with what we talked about last time, which is maybe we drop cell phones out of it and just actually do mm home -hmm. broadband. Then you only need about a monthly fee of $2 on everyone's broadband bill. And this is paid for. That's for, oh, but this I is my favorite time part. So this is yes. not something that has been shared publicly, but my understanding is from people that actually meet with her and her staff about this, they have concerns about raising people's broadband bills. Of course, uh, you know, they, because they don't people want to be are used to their bills staying the same year after year. Their bills, you know, they they don't go up on a on a periodic basis for no good reason, and so we should not raise their bills for a very good reason. Now, this is the same group of people who have an ungodly tax on telephone bills right now. Mm. <laughs> it's a thirty percent tax on the telephone bill. It's Kim? huge. I'm just like baffled that that that's actually being said out of somebody's mouth that our bills are not being raised. Um, okay, I might re be retracting of what I said about people at the FCC now, guys. I mean, that's just an <laughs> absurdity to to say that. I mean, that is what this industry is based on is just raising your bill for no apparent reason and not even understanding what the line item on the bill is that it's getting raised for. Right? It doesn't even make remember, sense. Remember the nutrition label on broadband? Remember that whole mm. It's coming out soon. It's coming out soon. It's always coming out soon. It's going to be great, I'm sure, when it comes out. But remember all the conversation about how the issue with our broadband bills is that they go up and we have no idea what's in them. And that's why yeah. you need a nutrition. Comcast bill. just Comcast <laughs> just raised their rates three dollars. This is why the company is now losing customers every month. And they raise their rates three bucks nationwide. Here you could raise it two bucks nationwide and take care of ACP forever. That's so, really not, that's not too ugly. And just to be clear, take care of ACP forever in a way that actually is hugely profitable yes. and beneficial to these same companies. Yeah. I mean, yes. They get all the <laughs> ACP money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the other thing that drove me nuts that uh, I, I want to make sure that we have time to talk about other things, but um, they had some questions from the audience. I don't know. I had left the room oh. in a fury. Uh, Are you going to share this one? Are you really going to share this one? Because this one actually irritated me, this answer, if you're showing this Good. video. I wasn't going to show it because it takes too oh. long. Which one are you talking about, Kim? Are you talking about the tribal one that I think yeah. you're about to go? Yes, go. Well, I'm not going to show it because it takes too long. Um, but uh, I'll ask <laughs> if uh, Jordan will put it in the, in the for anyone else who wants to watch it. Uh, or else I'll, I'll just do it right here to make sure that's the right one in case of confusion. Um, but um, in it, a uh, person basically says, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, um, uh, living on a tribe reservation or a member of a tribe. And I want to know, you know, what you're going to do to to do better uh, for the, the horrible connectivity uh, for many people. And uh, Jessica's answer is basically that um, she starts by noting that they follow the law. <laughs> in that they consult on a government-to-government -government basis with tribes, uh, that they are doing a $75 a month on tribal lands, although I'm pretty sure it was Congress that mandated that. I don't think the FCC would have done that on their own. Um, and um, acts as though they're responsive to tribal needs and requests um, and mentions that they have done a tribal priority window. There's no mention about doing that moving forward, although also, I don't know if they could do a tribal priority window because under Jessica's management, they have lost the right to do spectrum auctions, which is really remarkable. Uh, so um, there's all anyway, Kim, I'd like to really know what you how you responded to that, why you felt about what you felt about that. Because I was like the one important thing that tribes need 
that we've been talking about the need for broadband on these tribal reservations for years now. And then the, the head chief of the FCC is up there going, well, we have a $75 subsidy to these people and it's going to make it all better. We're not, yeah, we're not we, April, we won't. Well, well, we did. Fair enough that we are today, Chris. <laughs> um, it was just, it, it was the most political non-answer I've ever heard in my life. It was just like, this is a very important topic but I don't know how to answer this. So I'm going to answer it with whatever word soup that comes out of my mouth right no, now. What, and yes, Ruben, this is my first rant. This is my what first rant. She said, Kim, she Kim doesn't answer. watch a lot of politics or she would have heard other bad. So. Just, just to start <laughs> that answer, what Jessica says is the first people on the land should not be the last people to be connected. And yet she has done absolutely nothing to change that dynamic. She she just talks about like things that they are required to do. She has in no way gone out there. She talks about how like one of the things that they are doing is that they are asking the tribes if they got the maps correct. It's like, no, you didn't get the maps correct. You don't care yeah. about getting the maps correct. You have the power to require companies to give you accurate information or be punished. You have chosen not to do that. You are embracing lies and then throwing them back at overburdened tribes and saying, you fix it. This is not, this is not a good policy. I mean, it's just, and, but yet mm -hmm. that room loved her. Like I, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say loved her. I think that room liked her. Um, Chena, what was your thought about the reaction of the room to her? I mean, <laughs> look, I, I think this kind of goes back to my earlier semi rant, which is like, I think that room takes its cues from the front of the room. And I think that the front of the room on that, the messaging is not in any way, let's speak truth to power, let's demand <clears throat> something better from power. Not, there's none of that in at the front of the room. And so I think that the room was responsive to what was happening on stage, which was a, thank you for being here. Thank you for all of your work. Here are some very easy questions that when you answer them badly, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, yeah and move along. So I think that that room yeah. responded as it was instructed to respond <laughs> from the front of the room. Kim? And it's too bad because uh, this was a meeting of digital inclusion people yeah. that all disagree with what was said. Yes, yep. every one of them. Yeah. I, I think I'm just more pissed of getting the tribes just getting screwed over and over and over and continuously. <laughs> and it's just like, it's it's from not even Jessica Rosenworcel, but it's some consultants, it's the vendors. Everybody sees this money thing and they're trying to really take advantage of tribes um, and, or not take care of them at all. And it really just irritates me when this should be a, a focus of where some of this money is really going and to actually deliver quality broadband to those tribal nations. Hey, if y'all are agreeing with that, let's just uh, encourage you to um, demand a tribal priority window for the 12 gigahertz. It won't solve everything, but uh, there should be a priority window for tribes to grab 12 gigahertz as it changes status. Um, but I did want to add one other thing, which is that in the defense of the people in the front of the room, one of the things that I know and has been brought back to my attention multiple times is that if you do anything to suggest that Jessica is not the dear leader, an amazing person, she will get you. She sends people after her. This is where she excels on the hill. And this is where, like, I'm just, like, giving up on any getting anything through, like, anything that Jessica ever does again. Because I'm pretty sure that if she's taken notice of me, it has not been in a nice way. 
Jessica does not tolerate anyone asking her hard questions or suggesting that she's not doing the right thing. She takes it personally. She gets angry. She gets even. That's my understanding. Uh, there was a number of people. Who, I, hold on a second, Doug. I'll just finish this off. There was a number of people who, when I was like, this room should be furious with Jessica. And I, and I just had a couple of tweets about it. And a number of people came up to me, more people than liked the tweet, but whatever this is, I'm not trying to troll for this, but like, there was a lot of people who were like, I, I liked what you said. I agree with it. I cannot be seen agreeing with that or I will be in trouble. So like, that is the attitude and Angela is right. And everyone at NDI is right. If they want to get a single small thing through the FCC in the next year, they have to make Jessica look awesome. Doug. I'm just wondering if your door's locked right now because I'm a little worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> but that shows great leadership. I mean, the thing is, that's the, the conversations that we have to stop right now. We have to have like collaborative conversations, but we're having ego driven conversations and it's, the wrong conversations to be had. We need to really focus on the topics. Excuse me, I will curse. Who gives a shit about your ego? Let's work actually connecting people. Yeah, we've had agencies with terrible leaders for many years. That's part of DC. I mean, it happens many, many administrations. So, yeah. Chris, I totally hear that. Here's what should happen then at the front of that room. If you know that you can't have her at the front of the room and have an actual conversation about what's happening, then do not fucking have her at the front of the room. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I am with you on that. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. But, and I do want to say like, I mean, I think, first of all, I think net inclusion serves an important purpose. Uh, I think, um, you know, there are, um, agree I have a lot of agreement with Shana regarding strategy and things like that. Uh, I don't want this to be people to get the wrong impression. I think net inclusion was inspiring. Uh, it was a great place to see people that are dedicated to, to getting this work done. Um, but I also think we need to, and we had a panel in which we addressed some of this stuff. Uh, Shana was on it. Joshua Edmonds joined us. We had two uh, wonderful folks, uh, from Chattanooga. Uh, and I have a recording of that. I'm going to try and improve the audio and then share it because I thought it was an important conversation. Um, but I think we do need to ask some hard questions of each other uh, in this space to make sure that we are on path to meet our goals and not just that we are doing what is convenient in terms of saying we're not going to piss off Comcast because I can't have my organization missing out on this grant and without knowing that, okay, you can make that determination, but then you are not going to do your job. Um, you know, you cannot hit digital equity if you are going to set the agenda that Comcast uh, delivers. Uh, so, um, but anyway, I will say this: Angela has a, t a very hard job, and I, I adore Angela, and I think she's doing some amazing things in this industry. But she has a really hard job. She's trying to solve a problem, but she's not part of a broadband provider, right? So she has to work with all angles to make sure that her mission can be accomplished. So I give kudos to her because she has to play the game in a big way to make sure that all parties are working together to actually get inclusion to happen. So, I mean, I totally get it. And I, I, I agree. I don't want to ever come across not appreciating what NDI has, has done. I didn't get to go to this year's conference, but I went to last year's and there is a lot of inspiring people and a lot of people who are trying to get things done in a very hard way. And I, I give kudos to all those people who are doing that. It is a very hard job that I work in the broadband field. I still don't want their job. <laughs> Um, 
So while we're talking about digital discrimination, this brings up where, you know, Shana and I have some disagreements. And I actually, this is where I disagree more with, with possibly NDIA and others. I've, I've raised this in other ways, but um, a quick summary would be that uh, Congress told the Federal Communications Commission it had to do something about uh, digital discrimination, what some people have called redlining. Uh, we've talked about this in numerous past episodes, the idea that um, there are, well, the FCC came up with a, with a language and the one good thing the FCC did was it defined digital discrimination. So we have a definition and that is basically where there is a pattern of discrimination. Um, and I think we're mainly concerned about racial or income discrimination uh, in which some neighborhoods are left out uh, and other neighborhoods uh, have higher quality service, more choices, lower prices. Um, Shana has led an effort documenting this uh, in uh, California. Uh, people have questioned that at which point people came back with more and more data points and showed, no, it's really a thing that Low-income neighborhoods pay more, have fewer choices, uh, and get lower services. Um, and then the FCC basically said, and we're not going to do anything else about it. I mean, if you read between the lines, that's what the FCC said. You got your definition, now go away. And uh, the FCC will not be involved in future digital discrimination issues, as far as I can tell. I have been concerned, and this is, I'm almost done, <laughs> just to be clear, to put my perspective quickly. My concern is that people who are organizing on digital discrimination, I think, they think or the, the solution that comes from their approach is that AT&T has discriminated in Cleveland. We need to force AT&T to invest more in Cleveland. And I'm like, yes, AT&T has discriminated and we need a solution that works in Cleveland. We don't need more failed AT&T investment. So that is my concern. And now I want to hand it over to Shana to talk about what they are doing. And then after that, perhaps to tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, so one, I don't think you're entirely wrong. I, I I do think that you're wait 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 do not do not kiss up the power like this. It's already it's already it's already gone out live. We're recording it. We're gonna loop it. <laughs> I, again, I just want to be clear. I didn't say you were right. I said you're not entirely wrong. Um, in that, yeah, the FCC did not go as far as it could have and should have. Uh, it left a whole lot of very dangly strings um, that can be pulled on, I think, to unravel a lot of it, which I think we're actually going to see kind of play out in courts shortly. Um, turns out in the Eighth Circuit. Um, so I, I, I think yes on that. Here's where I think um, you are uh, underestimating the potential. So one is just straight up on it as a sort of organizing mechanism. So some of what we talked about in our panel, and I think some of what's really missing um, from the uh, NDIA and some of our kind of existing approaches around this is like, we don't actually have any sort of movement. We have all these people, but we don't actually have any power because um, there is no organizing, really no organizing model. Um, and it is basically impossible to <laughs> organize around this sort of like big esoteric, like I would love to organize with you, Chris, on 12 gigahertz. You know how next to impossible that's going to be because nobody knows what the fuck that is. And okay. so like not possible. Um, and But when you have something that is digital discrimination, we all know it's happening. We're seeing it on the ground. It is in our lived experience. That makes it a much better organizing mechanism and the borrowing of that disparate impact language when you do actually start organizing in equity communities, the disparate impact uh, versus just intent 
actually people do understand that and do know that that's meaningful because they've seen it and they've worked it on housing and education and other things. And so um, taking it just as an opportunity to actually start to do better, more, uh, I think, coherent organizing it is, is a gift. But then in terms of what you can actually do with it, so we now have um, the city of LA uh, is in the process of adopting that language as a city of LA definition. The city of LA has a, um, a Department of Human Rights and a Human Rights Ordinance and a bunch of uh, enforcement mechanisms there that include everything from the city can't do business with companies that are found to be violating that human rights ordinance to actual sort of cash fines or cash awards to people and, and actually community groups. So there's area. There. So there's a bunch of things you can do in LA. Real um, teeth. Real things that you can do in LA with that definition. And we would not have been able to pass that definition if we didn't get it from the FCC. And now we also are moving at the state. And that's where things get really interesting is if we can get this bill passed through the California legislature to adopt that same disparate impact standard, then that has implications for things like, let's go back to the federal funding account, right? The state can't violate its own <laughs> digital discrimination language. So if and when it comes out, uh, we're on bead how the state decides to take what leeway NTI gave it in the wrong direction <laughs> on equity, uh, it's violating its own rule at some point and that and having that rule actually provides an avenue. So it doesn't just apply to sort of public, it also applies to private, sorry, it also applies to public. But then on the private side, you know, California also is a single, we're a, it's the digital, I don't even remember, Divka is the name. We're a sole franchise state. We're one of the handful that in 2006 passed the ALEC bill, basically taking all local input into cable right. franchises so just for and doesn't are, have it. For like, people who aren't familiar, state, the way cable television worked, you had to get a franchise. Typically those were local franchises until in the early 2000s, people started making them state franchises so they could take the teeth out of them to make sure that the cable companies could do whatever they want and there could be no consumer protections. And that happened in California. That's called Divka and that's what the franchising is all about. Exactly. And most states actually still have local franchising. So you can still, you know, we were talking with uh, Jason out of Baltimore at net inclusion. And he's like, yeah, we negotiated this, we negotiated that. Not possible in California since 2006. Um, the California franchise policy also has nothing about equal access. So there's no way to do any build out requirement. It has nothing about anti-discrimination and it has no so there's nothing in there around the kind of consumer standards. And so for the state to adopt that definition, and again, the only way that we could possibly even be having this conversation at the state level is because the FCC did that. Um, well, and also, also because it's a bunch of avenues to actually address it. And, and before oh, we talk, talk, Dar, hold on, talk. Dar, just one okay. second. The, the other thing to note is that the people in the front of the room at NDIA are also the ones like, I don't want to say the FCC did that. Right. I mean, I think we all know that the FCC never would have done that absent people like uh, Angela uh, up there well, arguing. And it, so. All of us on the ground. I mean, right, right. I did turned it. I, all of our kind of coalition, the coalition work that we did preparing them to, mm -hmm. on the ground, like doing the organizing of saying like part of how we get skew, screwed is because we don't have a voice in regulatory processes at the state or at the federal level. 
um, it wasn't just the, the folks. I would say a lot of the folks who were engaged in, in winning that fight were not in that room at all um, at NDIA. Certainly okay. okay, Doug. Now let's talk practically what it means because I want to go back to your Cleveland example. I don't think that we'll ever be able to come and say, AT&T, you have to build fiber and more networks. They will simply never do it. They'll tie it up in court. However, you know, when LA adopts that, they can stop charter from giving the cheapest rates to the richest neighborhoods. So there is a real practice. They can absolutely find them to the point where it's not worth their while to do that. I mean, what, what charter's doing there is so unconscionable. It's unbelievable. And so literally you pay 30, 40% more if you're in a street that's poor and it's block by block. I mean, this is not like North and East. It's, it's that specific. They've got the, I think they have the same software that they use to get as much money out of you as possible for airline tickets. Doug, I don't want to, I don't want to rain on your parade, but I'm afraid that charter has some secret data. They cannot show anyone, but it says that you're wrong. <laughs> well, I'm sure they do, and they'll never be able to show it to us. But yes, we're, that's proprietary. Point, Trust but, us. That's but a quote. the point. But the point <laughs> is there a the, secret handshake to get this data that we don't know yeah. about? Like, yes, <laughs> yeah, it involves having a hundred thousand dollars in your palm. <laughs> City of LA will be able to find them to the point where they just go ahead and give everybody the same rate. Now it'll be everyone will have the high rate, but at least it'll be the same rate. I mean, I do also, Chris. Just, uh, I think that is true, but I. think think that we uh, sell ourselves short if we think about the limits of what we can do with this to can you or can't you get AT&T to do something different when it comes to build up, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I think no, I, we can certainly try. I, yeah. I think that there is a lot that's happening that at the state level, I think there's a lot that's happening in some of these networks. I think this is actually a way, so for example, we want to get funding to, from some of these kind of municipal pots of money to what's needed, you know, Bureau of Street Landing or, you know, Department of Water and Power or whatever to actually like build these fiber programs that's necessary backbone for some of these things. Um, and when you can point to a, you have to do this because if you don't, you're violating your own digital discrimination ordinance, that helps quite a bit. And I think you can see, like, we just saw a $2 billion settlement in the state of California over disparate impact um, on education. That's all tied back to essentially digital divide. So, you know, I don't agree. It's, it's used in other places. I, and I don't, quite effectively. I, w I don't oppose what you're doing. I think I would consider as I have some hesitations and the biggest one is, is it not that I don't think it'll work in California? My my bigger concern is that someone in Oklahoma City is like, yes, we're going to focus on this digital discrimination ordinance. And there, you know, I would say if it's part of a broader strategy, then yes. But I, I don't see, I, I worry perhaps unnecessarily about people hanging their hat on the digital discrimination as itself being able to do something. So um, that's I mean, where I want to just make sure we have some hesitation. I think that in Oklahoma City, here's what I would suggest in Oklahoma City or in Texas or in a number of the, a number of places that are not California for all the reasons. Um, I would say their ability to make the digital discrimination work have teeth is going to be limited. However, I would say in most, if not all of those places, there is not a political, a politically oriented coalition or any sort of work that's happening that really has that power analysis. So if what this makes possible, if focusing on digital discrimination 
because it is something that people can understand that you can hang your hat on, that there's a ton of documentation on, that you're not picking a fight with your local council member, you're picking a fight with a big multinational cable company that you hate anyway. Like that is actually as a mechanism to build some political muscle to do some other things that need to get done. There's value in that too. All right. So Doug and Kim, I'd like you to turn your volume all the way down for a second. I might be wrong. You can turn it down now. Uh, what what did you say? I'm not a good rip lipper. Oh no, no, I, I had Doug, he said he was wrong. Wrong. No. W. No, no, I, think, no I think those are very good. We're, very we're good gonna friend. have to go. We're gonna have to go to YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, can you cut the commercial? <laughs> can it be um, like a big telcos commercial too, just to make it even more appropriate? You, you know, he can edit this before it goes on. Permanently, so yeah. <laughs> Kim, uh, Kim, do you have any any thoughts about the conversation? No, besides that, you are wrong. That I just summed up the whole conversation, and um, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> it's nice to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> uh, I think Chris, the only, the only other thing yeah. that I would just say about this is that I do think it circles back to like your previous rant, right? Like the reason that we can't at the front of the room and partly why he can handle his job and all the stuff around ACP and everything else we've been talking about through here is um, very, very difficult, <laughs> uh, is that we don't do politics and power. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, let's at right all. And, but let me finish, the part of the reason we don't do politics and power in this reason, in this, in this movement is because so much of it is funded by people who benefit from the status quo which and is so, why they fund it <laughs> which is why they fund it and so it sort of loops and so when you have a space that is like we're going to we're going to be in places and we're going to say things in order to protect our giant comcast logo on our badges that has implications all the way down the line yeah, I wanted to interrupt. Um, you excuse me, excuse okay. me. It is um, called Xfinity now. It is not a Comcast logo. Just wanted to correct. It was you, a so giant you're... Comcast logo. Like we could, <gasps> we had to have our names on the back because the Comcast logo was so big. <laughs> it is a beautiful logo. It is a beautiful logo. So I mean, oh, it's, great. it's rainbow. I wanted, Shana. I was dying to interrupt you earlier, and I restrained myself one time from interrupting someone. Um, and um, it was that. If only there was something that, I don't know, joined 23 million of us together in some way, like some sort of program that united us in some sort of looming threat that we had. Um, I mean, to give you a sense, I think, I think AARP has like 40 million or 50 million members and is like by far the largest organization, member organization in the United States of America. AACP like was like this program that like it is it's not just a matter of we didn't organize for power. It is like we could not have organized less for power. It is truly remarkable okay. how, how quickly a program that 23 million households are using could disappear without a peep. Let's just be honest. AARP like markets like crazy to get that many members because I'm 43 and getting a lot of AARP materials at this point. You get the discount so, right now. <laughs> I'm getting it soon. But I, the thing is, I mean, we're still, I was talking to my team yesterday, is that people were signing up on February 7th still for ACP. And I don't even think anybody really even knows a lot of the end users that it's going away. And I think that is part of the problem as well, Chris. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. There's so many people I've talked to who, um, 
uh, are concerned um, about that that bill shock that's coming because, um, you know, in its uh, infinite consumer protection awareness um, uh, wisdom, it uh, allowed companies to give people a long disclaimer at the front end that says, hey, at the end of the program, we have to raise your bill and you don't get to say anything about it. Um, when originally the program was supposed to require an opt in you know, to like raise the bill and they put it at the front end where nobody read it and uh, and the FCC let them get away with it. So like once again, now all these ISPs are going to get screwed, right? And so this is one of the things that I have learned in 16 years that Travis, I think, would appreciate. When I started doing stuff 15 years ago and I would talk to people, I'd be like, there's a cool government program. And people would be like, and I'd be like, what? what is this attitude? They'd be like, we've been screwed so many times. And here we are again with ISPs who like, built these networks. Many of them have long-term commitments. CTC, working with Boys Fort up in Minnesota with the reservation, they're poised to lose most of their customers on this network that they've been building out because it's it's expensive in a rural area to have super high quality network and ACP was helping pay for it. It's going away. Um, you know, and, and although Jen, Jennifer, um, Jessica thinks that, um, it's too bad, you know, she's powerless to do anything about it. Um, and, and so like, I, you know, you have people that are going to be pissed off. The ISPs are pissed off and like, maybe there's more money, but like, there's so much bad blood and like any future program is going to be that much harder to try and get people signed up for again. It's, it's just really amazing how, um, how much of this is unnecessary self-owning. I have to give you another thing to make you mad then. I'm done. NTIA is leaning towards making ISPs <clears throat> give the discount even without getting reimbursed for it if you want to win a big grant. <laughs> well, I wish them luck. That's what they're that's what they're telling states they should put in their plans. Yeah, I'm I mean and, and those, doing... these are rural plans and they are they already don't work and now they're that's just one more reason. That I want to. I want to see billboards that um, you know. Uh, Shane is a, a marketing person, so Shana, laugh hilariously at this and then tell me how to do it better. Um, I want people to understand via a billboard, apparently, that um, <laughs> that Republicans have decided that that we should have fewer rural homes with broadband because they don't want to use uh, taxpayer dollars to subsidize uh, the cost for low income people. Now, that's um, going to happen. Fewer homes are getting built. I can't wait to see you put that much on a billboard and see anybody be able to see it or understand it it's while they're it's driving. Gotta be, it's got to be really big and <laughs> run off the road. Right? Like on the side of a, a barn, maybe and like Burma yeah. shave. Oh, we, Burma, we could do it in a series of billboards. <laughs> it's like the ones that you go down the interstate and there's like one word per billboard. That's what we're going to do yes. with this campaign. I mean, I think Chris. Uh, so here, this would be, I'm not a marketing person, I'm a political person. <laughs> um, and here would be my political answer to that, which is like, even if we could come up with a messaging that actually fit on a billboard, and even if a billboard was a good idea, which actually there's some evidence that on political messaging, billboards are, are actually fairly effective. But uh, I would say, so what? Like, so from the- Yeah, I know, that's the end, It's like, is, yeah. is there is a single Republican congressperson not going to win their primary or general because people understand that that's a ACP, no. right no. no you're right i mean this is and this no. is ultimately a problem and on the last show i think <clears throat> i complained about this also like i'm just there was um uh mayor joey durrell who was uh amazing in um in the beginning of the century in um 
um, which is a funny way to talk about 20 years ago in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, so this is a, a campaign for a municipal broadband system. It was the fight of the aughts. And um, and so this, this conservative city, one of the top 10 most conservative cities in the United States of America, uh, wants to build its own municipal fiber system because uh, they had some of the worst service from Cox and Bell South. And Bell South and Cox were like, you don't need it. You're dumb. You don't need better service. You should pay a lot to us. Cox actually raised rates like five times in two years at one point or something like that. It was amazing. Um, and so there's this big fight back and forth. And Joey Durrell is this, is this guy who he and I probably disagree on just about everything except for um, like the importance of like local ownership and things and also like treating each other well, even if we disagree. Um, and, and so you know, he did this thing and um, in which he fought back. And so he became well known and I got to know him and we were having um, a meeting one time and we were talking about, this was like right when Trump was getting popular and I was sort of curious what he was thinking about it. And, uh, and he was saying that one of the things that drove him nuts was meeting people who, you know, when they woke up out of bed that morning, they knew what their opinion was going to be on everything. It wouldn't be shaped by any facts or evidence. And, um, and, and that is, that's ultimately what we deal with. And I think we deal with it far more with Trump's supporters than opposition, but there's a lot of people who are just like, just, they're, they're not willing to do their own thinking. They're just going to follow a podcast or some message. And, uh, it's really hard. And so, you know, I think people who haven't changed their mind in a while really need to, uh, um, uh, need to get at it. I mean, I just I changed my mind today. I just changed you, my mind. You've, today. <laughs> you have, you have absolutely, you've brainwashed Ruben. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, like I mean, this uh, those those people, Ezra and Ruben, those those follow a podcast. We need to be scared of them. You're like a little spicy taco over there, Mr. Mitchell, today. Like just a, like a, you're just ready for it, ready for it. Oh, I miss Travis. Um, <laughs> we have, we have another topic. We have another topic. I really I'm not going to take that personally in any way. Well, no, I mean, been, we wanted to have you here, and we thought Travis was coming. Um, I wanted to, I want to talk about this building retrofit program. Uh, but, um, but I also, I really feel like I'm curious about Travis's thoughts. So let's talk about it a little bit here and we'll come back to it and visit it in the next show. So there's a state and I was so excited when I learned about this. this is one of the things I learned at net inclusion. There's a state that is considering using, uh, some of the funds it has available for apartment buildings to help them retrofit where, uh, or a, a building would be like, this is how much it'll cost and they'll get bids for it. And then, um, they would uh, pay to, uh, wire every unit or in some cases, perhaps just Wi-Fi. but the goal would be to wire every unit. And, and in they were asking, should the public, you know, the entity that they're doing this, uh, should there be um, a requirement that uh, there be uh, some number of strands of fiber that uh, are then owned by the public, uh, you know, uh, public entity uh, that they could use in the future to make sure that the building is uh, not, uh, you know, just uh, monopolized by that company that does that wiring. Um, you know, so this should not only should they have internal wiring that is independent, but should they also have uh, fiber coming out of the building to the, a close um, point at somewhere. And I was just curious, and, and you know, I don't know, Kim or Shana, if you have any thoughts on it, um, uh, but uh, I'm sure Doug would. So we can start with Doug. Well, in my mind, if the government 100% pays for something, they have every right to claim a piece of it for the government. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple. Now, if they only pay for 10% of it, they probably don't. So but if they're going to pay to wire an apartment building, they could say, you know, I'm giving it, you, you know, ISPA comes in, wins the award to win it. He gets to serve it, but I'm going to have some of those fibers in case for other reasons. And so, of course. But what's the process capacity? Every, every, every 100% grant comes with that kind of extra 
and that's just if you take the money, you know, that's part of it. I think that's absolutely mm -hmm. fair. Yeah, Doug, every hundred percent grant except for the federal funding account grants. Well, they're, they're different because you know you're in California, your people are insane. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shana, come back anytime. You're getting all the love here at uh, Connect This. Oh, today. Shana can dish it out and she can take it. I, I, I spent 10 years in Berkeley. I spent 10 years in Berkeley. I can say this with a straight <laughs> You had, you spent 10 years at Berkeley? I'm sh so shocked by your attire. I know. Um, I, know. I assume that was after your, your stint with the uh, Professional Football League. Yes, that was after. That's when they okay. grew <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think it's a great idea. And I think also it is one thing that, that I'm uh, on the changing your mind front, Chris, um, one thing that I'm sort of wrestling with uh, myself is the extent to which we sort of treat broadband as it's like entirely different than anything else that we've ever done on a societal level, right? Like we sort of talk about like uh, electric, uh, rural electrification, which isn't isn't you know sort of the same, but in many ways, I, I think there's a lot to learn from it. But um, you know, in terms of like, I mean, even just like cable franchising, right? Like the with this this like weird big controversial thing around like, oh, do you negotiate for um, on excess capacity or in exchange for really valuable things like rights of way and the right to rip up streets and things like you know, you should have some little piece of that conduit that you put in um, should be accessible to the locality for um, for work or should schools should get free access or whatever. Um, that's like when I talk to housing developers in particular, when I talk to transit developers, um, there's so much public benefit baked into those other industries mm -hmm. and what they are allowed to do and what they are required to do, not, not even for public investment, like in exchange for basically accessing public space and public resources there, there's a ton of public benefit, but here we're like, Oh, that's like novel. Let's, <laughs> let's say if we're going to entirely provide, if we're going to entirely provide public resources, that ultimately will go like the the outcomes, the money from that will go to private benefit. Then there needs to be some other public benefit that comes into that. Like I, it's wild to me that we in this space, and, that, and that's because we have that. giant ISPs who control the, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. There's state there's states where if you build a large enough subdivision, you have to build the school out of your own money that goes along with it. But yeah, so that's just part of the deal, right? But I think, guys, too, like, and I, I work for a governmental agency, and I, I support this. If, if it's fully funded by governmental money, that there should be public asset or public benefit for it. But what is the problem is you can say that in the rules, but then when you do that, who's going to execute um, on using it for public benefit? I think there's a disconnect there of that's great, and we might have extra fibers, but doesn't even anybody know what or how to use them from a public aspect? And that's that's sort of what I want to get to to Travis on, I think, to some extent, which is the question of how would it be useful? And I my answer, and I'm desperate for someone's um, uh, you know agreement that I'm I'm right. Uh, my suggestion was that probably the most valuable part to the to like long term public interest would possibly just be the egress point, 
to get to a vault outside of the uh, outside of the building. And like it doesn't really matter if you're going down the street or not. But the the point that you want is to make sure it is easy to get through the building uh, into into the the server room or whatever the you know the telco closet whatever. Uh, and so just having that available and in an accessible manner is probably more value the most valuable part of this that they could get. And they might be able to stop there. Uh, and the the reason for their concern is like sure you could always ask for it, but like. If you design a program and you're like, we want, you know, a pair of fibers and we want them to go this far, you know, the person, the people that are bidding might, you might get less qualified or fewer good ones because they have some reservation. So I, I don't want to put in too many requests or requirements uh, out of a fear that you would then result in a, a smaller applicant pool that you'd want. And so there's just that balancing act is, is where I think where the benefits are. But we don't ask for zero benefits. That's that's the right. No, and and the other thing that is really uh, and important here, I think, is that all the other stuff that Shane is talking about really costs real money. Uh, that's I, the other thing people forget. I think you know you look at like roads, water, electricity, all that stuff costs much more than fiber. I'm so tired of hearing that fiber is expensive. I'm like, yes, it is, except all, yeah. compared to all other infrastructure. Yeah, so roads are, are more far expensive. more expensive. Yes, they are. So. Yeah, I and mean, I think uh, partly I think why I support that. You, this uh, kind of MDU apartment building thing and others like it is I think it's just the in part just like the mindset like I was having a conversation with an unnamed I, I will I will keep them unnamed <laughs> ISP uh, that we fight with and I think they're we're trying to be friendlier um, and a long conversation about public-private partnerships and how we should be supporting more of those and whatever. And then we get into the weeds of like, what do you mean by a public-private partnership? Because yeah, totally. Uh, and it turns out what they mean is that we should be spending public money to build for them, not even building the networks, but giving it to <laughs> them to do what they want to with for no, for nothing in return. I mean, this is yes, a quote. No. Well, if yeah. we use their, but if we mm -hmm. use a publicly owned network, then it's going to come with some requirements. Like, right, that's a partnership, right? Like a partnership is both parties put something in, both parties get something out. Like that's how that works, right? Um, so I think anything that moves the needle a little bit on like, yeah, we should do public-private partnerships and they sh and partner should actually mean something real. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, we'll but I on. think that's a, I, I really think that's a strategy, right? It's their strategy of taking over of the conversation and saying that they're working with each other. It's the same thing that I'm seeing with the word open access, right? Like the gigapower thing. They're saying they're open access because they know that's a buzzword right now. The same thing on this thing, public private partnerships is a, sometimes a more politer word, a way to say, I just want your money and I want you to give me money. Yeah. And as for as long as like on the public side, we're like, yeah, this is this is different because it's a public private partnership. Like, eh, mm -mm. No, it's not unless you mm -mm. unless you can point to some sort of public benefit that comes out of it, then no, it's just writing public sector checks to private sector entities and hoping for the best. Yep. Although to be clear, there is a long tradition of that in uh, road privatization, uh, parking meters in Chicago, all kinds of examples of ill-defined partnerships in other you, areas. Too. You must have a really sexy Friday night with all the knowledge you know about like these things. Like, hey, let me look about like public-private partnerships and roads. Oh, I, I mean, everyone knows about the Indiana Tollway <laughs> and the Chicago parking meters, right? I mean, like that's common knowledge. Like, what do you talk never. about at, at parties? <laughs> never heard. Never heard this of is it. why I don't get invited to parties. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
dumplings? <laughs> That's a party. Yeah. <laughs> other people invite you to things. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's, you know, believe it or not, believe it or not, it's been a long time since I was invited to something. <laughs> Shocking. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Christopher Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be leaving it there um, and uh, coming back in. Oh, let's see. What is happening in two weeks? In two weeks, I am just getting back from a retreat with ILSR. So we'll probably be on a Friday again in two weeks, I'm going to guess. Um, <laughs> fresh from being inspired by being around all the people that tell me I should actually do my job in a more responsible manner. <laughs> And, and in two weeks, Travis and I will be in the same location for a few days. So, I mean, we'll probably, we're going to have a conspiracy theory against you. I mean, just, just wait. We're, we're, All right. Um, Shana, I hope you enjoyed your last, uh, your last appearance on here ever. My brain still hurts from changing my mind and I'm not going to forgive you. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much. Shana, you are welcome anytime. Welcome anytime. <laughs> He doesn't even remember your name as soon as the show's over. He's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I need to. I need to get that uh, the the Men in Black thing, like make myself feel better. <laughs> Reset my beliefs. All right, uh, it's been it's been a lovely episode, Shana. Thank you so much for joining us for the full show. Yeah. Thank, thank you, all me. of the uh, viewers, commenters, everyone else, and uh, thank you, Jordan, for producing. Uh, we'll see you all in about two weeks. Mm -hmm.